Please be seated. Let's, uh, let's pause for a word of prayer. The truth that we just sang about, Father, is such good news and so profound that no matter what paths we face here, no matter what valleys and ditches we go through, even the valley of the shadow of death, your word promises that you will be with us. Lord God, now as we prepare to hear from your word, I pray, I ask, that you would bring your word with power by your Holy Spirit to impact the hearts of those you brought here tonight, to bring transformation, to shine your light in the dark places where we want to hide so that we can truly be free. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, welcome to Epiphany Church. It's, glad, it's, uh, it's good to have you here tonight. I'm glad that you were able to make it on this Labor Day weekend. I know a good number of uh, some of our normal uh, attendees are gone this week, of course, because of vacation time and, uh, and uh, getting away this last final weekend of the summer. Uh, so thanks for making it out. Uh, tonight, we are starting a brand new book um, that we're going through, the book of Ecclesiastes. Our own Dominic Santori did the graphic there. It's pretty nice, isn't it? I mean, it gives a good impression of actually what the book is about. Um, and, I mean, as our sermon art portrays, the, the book is really all about the brokenness and seeming meaninglessness of life in this world. At least, uh, for most of the book, it imagines a life lived apart from God and posits rightly that in that case, meaning and significance and purpose and language suggesting that, which by the way, we just kind of use all the time unconsciously, whether we uh, are aware of it or not, we just are always talking like that, that in fact, when we really look at it, if there is no God, then those things can't be true. And we can't have real meaning, can't have real significance, can't have real purpose. We have to make up meaning and significance and purpose, but there's no ultimate meaning to any of it. And because of the raw honesty that you find in this book, it has become a favorite of, of many. To be honest, it was my favorite book before I was a Christian because it made a lot of sense. I mean, it's very reasonable, it's very wise, it's very rational. And even though the tone of it can sound quite depressing at times and quite cynical, it does hit on something that, that is true. And yet, and yet, the writer to, uh, of this book does recognize that in the midst of a world when if there is no God, that life is meaningless. He does pause every once in a while, almost as if he can't help but to say, but there is a God, and here's some of his good gifts. Okay, so every once in a while he'll pause and go, but there is a God. So he, he gets out of sort of the wise, sort of, uh, you know, rational, uh, non-biased scholar mode and just starts thinking as a religious person, as a, as a godly man. And this is one of those passages tonight. And we're not going to start at verse 1. We're actually going to start at the end of the book because it's one of those times where he sort of gets out of that mode to talk about a gift from God, namely the gift of youth. The passage reads like this. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, 
and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you in to judgment. Remove vexation from, from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. End of reading. So, to you here tonight, what we're going to talk about is, whether you're young in age or whether you're young at heart, we're going to talk about God's word to the young, God's word of wisdom about youth. Uh, and the first thing we're going to see in the text is, frankly, God instructs youth, young people, and I'm, I, I still kind of consider myself there, even though I'm 40, um, to enjoy their youth. It's the first thing he says. Enjoy it. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. I think the New Living Translation catches the essence really well. I paraphrase it this way. It's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. Isn't that great that that's in the Bible, by the way? I think sometimes the way that, that people think about the God of the Bible is that he doesn't much like people having fun. And if he hears about anybody having fun, he's going to find a way to snuff it out. But here, no, the Bible is clear. God is saying, no, part of being young is to enjoy all the opportunities that are out there. There's a sense of limitless possibility when you're young and enjoy it. Enjoy it. So here's what this practically looks like for you here tonight. Seriously. You're in one of the greatest cities on the entire planet. It is. I mean, there's no way around it. You're surrounded by amazing cultural institutions, great art, great music, great education. There's celebrities living all around you here. I don't know if you know that, but I mean, Jimmy Fallon was just over there. I've, I've met him. I've talked to him. We're like BFS now. Um, I, talked, I talked to him once, but, you know, counts. Um, you're surrounded by people that have made it in the world, that people at the top of their fields, that have incredibly interesting lives. You're also surrounded by people that have been at the top and fallen down, who have incredibly interesting lives. Lives. In a couple of months, you're going to be able to throw snowballs in Central Park and go watch the Lakers beat the Knicks something awful at Madison Square Garden. That's going to be glorious. You can get the best slice of pizza ever for like a buck. I mean, the sky is the limit here. And what the author of Ecclesiastes, what God wants you to know is enjoy it. Enjoy it. Take time to enjoy it. The writer says, you know, as an older man looking back, he says, yeah, there's something magical about being young. Now, some, some of you might say, oh, yes, maybe, yeah, but, I mean, some of the more anxious types, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's easy. I mean, it can do some, a, lot, a lot of anxiety if we 
uh, we feel like we have to have everything figured out because when you're young, you don't. You don't know what's coming yet. You're not sure yet who you're going to marry in many cases. Uh, you're not sure yet if after you graduate, you're actually going to get a job in the field that you want to get a job in. You're not sure if you're actually going to make enough money to make ends meet, especially if you plan on staying here where rents are insane through the roof. I mean, there's a number of things that are uncertain. And so you say, well, it's hard to just enjoy it. But no, 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 no. I promise you, I can promise you, being middle-aged now, because I think that's what I am, even though I feel young, I am in fact 40, you will have tons to worry about when you get older. Tons. Like, I promise you, so enjoy young person this time. It's amazing how many things you worry about now that by a connection you made somewhere randomly, or by a little friend, things just kind of happen they fall into place. So don't fret, don't worry. That's what the, I mean, the author actually goes on to say that. It's as if he anticipates some of somebody saying, well, yeah, it's easy for you to say enjoy your youth. He says, remove vexation in your heart. The word could be translated uh, from Hebrew. It could be translated grief or worry. Get rid of that. Don't worry. You're going to have money later. Don't worry about that. Enjoy so that's the first exhortation to you. Young person, enjoy your youth. Ah, that's it. There's another exhortation. And that is to remember that your youth will not last forever. Here's the way the writer of Ecclesiastes says it. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. In other words, he reminds us that even as we should enjoy all that youth has to offer, we should also realize how fleeting it is. The point of it is that even as the author tells you to walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, he is not excusing or encouraging sinful behavior. Because, because one day you will get older, and the things you do now in your youth can indeed have a significant impact on your life in the future. Um, I'm guessing a good number of you probably have Netflix, and probably, if you're like me, find yourself binging on shows more often than you should. One of the bingey shows, is that a word, bingey? I don't know, but one of the bingey shows I've been watching lately is a show called I Am a Killer. And it profiles people on death row that have indeed killed someone, that have murdered someone. In each of the episodes, one thing is almost always the common denominator between the killers. They're from all over, all over the place, different backgrounds, rich, poor, you name it. All of them committed their crimes when they were young. They all committed their crimes when they were young. They was, they, and, they, and they talk about regretting the stupid things that they needed to try and impress people with when they were young and how they wished that they didn't do it. And it's reminded me of a scene from one of my favorite movies, maybe my favorite movie, Shawshank Redemption. Uh, Morgan Freeman's character, Red, is coming to the parole board, it seems like, for the hundredth time. And this time, they ask him if he feels any regret about his life, if he feels any remorse. And he says, there's not a day goes by I don't feel regret. Not because I'm in here, because you think I should. I look back on the way I was then, a young, stupid kid who committed that terrible crime. I want to talk to him. 
I want to try to talk some sense to him, tell him the way things are, but I can't. The kid's long gone. And this old man is all that's left. That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes wants you to remember. Even if you're experiencing everything and you're enjoying everything and you're taking in everything that the city has to offer and that this world has to offer, that remember your decisions do have consequences and will have an impact. So be smart. Now, this is not, I'm just telling you a story from my personal life. This isn't an area of life where I necessarily feel remorse. But it's just an example of decisions you make when you're young having an impact much later on in ways that you don't expect. Uh, when I was 19, I was very, uh, I had a very clear sense that I was supposed to be a pastor, that I was supposed to start studying to be a pastor. I, I knew it. I knew when I was 19, this is what I'm going to do. And then for seven years after, I ran away from it as fast as I could. I had seen sort of the work that pastors would do and the struggles that pastors go through. I had seen some of, you know, behind the curtain of pastoral ministry, and I just didn't, I, I, I just thought, well, what if I could just try and do something else? And so I did. I tried to do just a little bit of everything, and nothing really worked. And then, and then seven years later, you know, I met my wife, or the girl that she didn't know it yet, but I did. And she was going to be my wife. And immediately I knew, oh man, I gotta, I gotta take things seriously. I can't, I can't mess around. I can't just float around. Like I need to go to school. And I did. And I got into school. And I, I got out of seminary by the time I was, you know, um, or I got into seminary by the time I was like 28. But by that time, I was married, and I had two babies. And because I was married and had two babies going through seminary, I have to tell you. It was a lot more challenging than if I had just done it when I was younger, when I knew I was called to go into ministry. Again, I don't feel bad about it, and I don't think it's wrong, and ultimately it's God's plan for my life. But I tell that only, only as an example of the decisions you make when you're young do have an impact later on in your life. So the author then goes on to point out how it is that we can find this balance of wisdom with our excitement of youth, you know, with seeing everything, experiencing everything, making sure that at the same time we're wise with it. And he says the key is remember your creator. Remember your creator. That's the key. Now this is the time in most people's lives that I have seen as a pastor when people do precisely the opposite. It is when people are young that they often forget their creator. I've seen it in multiple churches, multiple times in the churches I've served. Some of the congregation goes away, starts experiencing things that he kind of knows are forbidden, you know, in the Bible, but they might feel good or they might be enjoyable. And he's enjoying the freedom that, you know, is, is, seems to be there. It finds that what he was taught growing up about what God wants for him is not going along with his life now. And then he's hearing some arguments that he's never heard against the faith. 
And he's starting to have his eyes open a little bit. He's going, you know, maybe I was taught a bill of goods. Maybe I was sold a bill of goods. And, I, and, and this isn't true. And they forget their creator. The author of Ecclesiastes says, don't let the excitement of youth cause you to do that. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and say, life is not pleasant anymore. Now again, in the New Living Translation, it catches the essence well of what he's saying. He says, remember him before the light of the sun, moon, and stars is dim to your old eyes. And rain clouds continually darken your day. What's he saying? One day you're going to be old. One day you're going to get older. Remember him now. Don't let it happen until when it's too late. For seven verses, he gives different examples. Remember him now. Remember him now. Remember him when this happens and when that happens. Because then it's going to be more challenging and more of a struggle. Remember your creator. How do you remember God? Read his word regularly. Be in the word. Pray often. Oh man, I can't tell you how significant this is. Be in community with other people, other Christians. Oh my goodness, if you try to do this alone, you will sink. It, it will be a constant struggle. You're not meant to do this life alone. It's not the way God intended it. Be a part of a community. Be a part of a group of people. I mean, you know, at Epiphany, every Tuesday night we have a community group that meets for that very purpose. So that people can connect and make sure they're encouraging one another as the Bible instructs us to do. A number of you are connected with University here tonight. Get plugged into an University small group at campus if you're on NYU. But just don't try to do this stuff alone. I'm telling you, 20 years ago, what kept my faith intact when struggles would come my way were my friends, were the people that I, I was connected to. And yet, I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know what you're bringing with you here. I wonder if, I wonder if some of you have forgotten your creator already. Isn't it sort of true that to some extent every day we forget our creator? I mean, every, every time we find ourselves complaining and upset about the way things are, isn't it kind of a sign that we're forgetting our Creator? Every, every time that we struggle to believe the truth that God really is for us and not against us, isn't it us forgetting our Creator? Every time that we do something that we know clearly God has said this word, do not do. We know our conscience is even sort of screaming at us. Don't do that. Don't. You know it's wrong, Eric. Don't do it. And you sort of go, shh. Nope, nope. Because you, you just want to give in. You just want to do that thing. Isn't it forgetting of your creator? truth is, the authors 
word to us to remember our Creator is a good word. It's right. But we are too prone to forgetting to base any assurance on our memory. And that's why in the final analysis here, what you need to walk out of here with a sense of confidence and joy and opportunity and optimism is to know that no matter how many times you have forgotten God, God has never forgotten you. That God remembers you and knows you intimately and loves you dearly. Jesus Christ proves that. The Bible says in Romans 5 that even while the world were still running away from him, forgetting him, not acknowledging him, he gave up his life for us. All throughout the Bible, God presents himself in the midst of his people constantly forgetting him and saying, but I remember you. I haven't forgotten you. I haven't forgotten the deal I made with you. I haven't forgotten the covenant I made with you. I am sticking to it no matter what. I'm sticking to it. I'm not giving up on you. He often chooses to present himself as the husband of a woman who is committing adultery on him over and over and over again. And the way he comes to her is by saying, I'm not giving up on the marriage. I'm not I'm sticking with it no matter what. That's your God. So no matter what you're walking in here with tonight, no matter how many times you've forgotten him in your daily days, daily uh, walk through life, you need to know, as right now your memory is being jolted and you're thinking about who this God is, that he is the God who faithfully remembers you. I'll close with a story I heard a while back about a young pastor. He had taken a call to this small church, and, and one of the jobs that you have when you're a young pastor is to um, is to visit people that are bedridden in the hospital. They're called homebound or shut-ins, depending on where they're at. And it's it can be a tough part of the job, especially when you're young. I mean, when you're first starting off, there's a lot of insecurity walking into a room where somebody is very sick and very needy and doesn't know how to take care of themselves. And especially when you're walking into the kind of room that this young pastor did. He was called to one of his parishioners who had Alzheimer's. And so he'd go in there, you know, once a month, once every couple of weeks, and hold this man's hand and say, you know, it's pastor so-and-so. And the man would never remember who he was. And the next time he'd go in, the man would never remember who he was. And so you just, you know, you kind of wonder, is, what am I doing here? What, what is the point of this? Eventually the man's Alzheimer's. We get the best of him and this young pastor got the call that he was dying. And so he went to the bedside, and he held the man's hand, and, and he urged the man, he urged the man, he said, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Remember Christ. And the man, in this just sort of profound moment of clarity, looked at the pastor and said, Son, I don't think I can remember 
Christ. But he remembers me. He remembers me. So no matter where you've been or what you've struggled with, be comforted tonight. He has not forgotten you. He is guiding you. And that will never stop. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart again to receive this message, this good news, that we would go out in our in in the, into the world with the optimism of this youth that is talked about in the book of Ecclesiastes, that we would see the world for all that it is and enjoy it, and yet at the same time give us wisdom so as not to make life hard for our neighbor or for ourselves. And when we do, when we blow it, when we forget you, our creator, oh God, remind us again that you are faithful, that you are with us, and that you will not forsake us. We ask this in Jesus' name.